Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. All right, we begin tonight with breaking news, live pictures of Kansas City. You can see things have cleared out, where a day that was supposed to be filled with celebration and joy suddenly turned deadly. So those are the gunshots that was just after the rally and the parade celebrating the Chiefs' Super Bowl win. So far, one person's dead, two dozen more injured, seven of those life-threatening injuries. One hospital confirms that they are treating 12 patients, 11 of them are children. One witness then described the scene. So I heard shots coming out at the very end of the parade. It was very loud. It kind of sounded like fireworks. I was super confused. People started running over from that side away from it. And so I started to get down from my tree as fast as I could. And then a little bit later, it started to happen again. There's another big group of people starting to run back. And then there's also a lady that had a seizure and made sure people got to her. All right, so far we know three suspects are in custody tonight. Evidently, some fans tackled people uh, and police placed them under, under arrest. We have no idea if they were or were not the shooters. A heroic group of fans were seen tackling one person. They held them down until police could arrive. There were 800 police officers on site for the parade. And investigators talked about those very, very chaotic moments as they ran in to try and save the victims. Not only the, the victims who were actually hit by gunfire, but there are a lot more people who are going to be forever impacted by, by what happened here today. Um, you know, as, as people were running, you know, a lot of us law enforcement who were, who were running towards the danger um, also guided those who were in, um, in fear of their lives. And that's something to be said of, of how impactful today's event truly was a lot of parts to this story and obviously we would be remiss if we did not mention the heroism of the officers who ran into the gunfire rendering aid and then also trying to save and apprehend the suspects tracy walder standing by former fbi agent former staff operations officer at the cia good to see you tracy i'm thinking about this and what was said and you're trying to piece together sort of the 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 clues that law enforcement is putting out there but they said that the the suspects that they had or the people they had detained were bad actors that tells me this doesn't seem like a quote-unquote mass shooting but perhaps some kind of beef being settled between groups 
um, adjacent to this uh, parade rather than an attack on the parade. Is that how you heard it? Well, thank you for having me, Leland. If you want me to be honest, that's exactly what I think most likely transpired here. I do think that these are three criminal. This is a criminal case rather than a terrorism case because they have since said that they do not believe that this is tied to terrorism in any way, shape or form. So it does sound to me like these are three individuals who either got into it or planned to get into it, if you will, at this location. And because people were packed in, I mean, this is hundreds of thousands of people in a very small place, quite frankly. And because they got, you know, into some kind of an altercation or, you know, they were trying to create a scene at a place like this, you have these, this many casualties. So I do feel that these are three individuals who are trying to settle some kind of a score. I think about some of these major American cities in the heartland. Uh, St. Louis, my hometown, comes to mind. Kansas City comes to mind. Chicago certainly comes to mind, where you have a, a very dangerous city center, as it were. Kansas City, just the city itself. Uh, 63 uh, is this homicides or 63 homicides per 100,000 residents, 182 homicides all year. One of America's more dangerous cities. They have a serious crime problem. In some ways, all of a sudden you've got, uh, that would be 63 per 100,000, but you, you all of a sudden have an enormous influx of people into an environment that probably they wouldn't normally be in. This, this, this downtown Kansas City um, is a fairly dangerous place. Right. So you have 800 police officers, as you mentioned before, undercover police officers, FBI agents, any kind of law enforcement that you can really mobilize in this area. You are pulling them off of street patrol and other crimes that they could be looking at and putting them all in one place. They don't have a choice. They have to. They did the right thing um, in this situation. But at the same time, it's also keeping other crimes, quite frankly, um, from being held at bay. And this can be problematic in a situation like this. You also had, I think it was Kansas City PD who came out and said that they were quite frankly glad that Taylor Swift, there was no chance that she could be at this parade because you also have to look at the Chiefs themselves. Their profile has really gone a lot higher, um, you know, within the last year. And that requires more and more and more security. And I think they did an excellent job. But I just think in a situation like this, you are not pre-screening people who are coming into this area. You can't. It would take a day to do that. And it just becomes extremely difficult. All right. We'll take a second and just listen to, to some more sound of, of understandably, and we understand people can, you know, people who are Kansas City Chiefs fans come from hours around. Uh, you think about all the way north into, into Nebraska and Iowa. Uh, I guess, it would, pardon me, I guess it would be north and west from Nebraska, but certainly from, from Iowa, Kansas City Chiefs fans, um, from Oklahoma uh, coming up, uh, who all converge there and from other parts of Missouri. Take a listen. I had four kids and they got split up and I just had them to. So I had to like throw them over the thing so that we could go in there and I couldn't find them. We just actually located them. So it was crazy. When we were in Union Station, some of the officers was telling us to go out and the other ones wouldn't let us come out. So we was like kind of stuck in between and it was just a lot of people crying and things like that. All right. Uh, terrifying for the people there. I thought it was interesting the mayor talked about sort of guns as if they're this amorphous object that suddenly starts shooting and killing people, um, which which they're not. People use guns to engage in this behavior. I'm wondering, in your experience, what are we going to find out about the shooters? 
That's that's an excellent question. And actually, to your point of people converging from all over, it's my understanding that an individual from Omaha actually helped subdued um, one of these these shooters, quite frankly. So really, that speaks to what you had mentioned before. You know, I think in in a situation you know, like this and, you know, what are we going to do? And, and, and what I think, you know, here's the thing at events like this, what are you going to do to keep it? Missouri is an open carry state, right? No background checks, those kinds of things. And so the reality is, is at an event like this, what are you going to do in a situation? You cannot put everyone through a metal detector. You just can't, right? You're going to have to, obviously people who are close to the VIPs, they've been searched, all of that, but, you know, people who are lining in the streets, you really can't. And I think the problem is, is this is going to leave an indelible mark on these young children and adults, quite right. frankly, for the rest of their lives. Yeah. You know, look, the, 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 those who were up close and experienced this, um, it is going to profoundly change them. And you think about the kids um, who have had to had to go through this and endure this. It's going to uh, be a long time for them. Uh, we're having some conflicting information in terms of where we are going next. I believe we have a reporter. Uh, we're going to Malik Jackson. Uh, Tracy, thank you very much. Malik Jackson, a reporter for our affiliate in Kansas City, WDAF. Malik, I, I was was very taken by the police chief who said that these were bad actors. And I'm wondering is if you've did the, the shooters that they believe were involved here. As you have talked to your police sources, are they able to expand on that at all? No, and they don't know exactly what happened or what led to this. They have not said anything about that. But what we do know is is that three people were detained. But while we were live on air, two set one shot that I was in, we were talking to a minor who had lost her parents and was crying, did not know what to do. She was running away, and we were speaking with her. And at the same time, during this live shot, we saw police take someone behind us. So we know that there's three people that's been detained, but there's at least two other people we saw being arrested on top of the video that has circulated on the internet of Good Samaritan stepping up when it mattered the most. All right, Malik, thank you very much. We'll check back. Uh, We'll obviously keep our eyes on Kansas City and what's happening there. Back to Kansas City as news warrants and we get any more information um, on the shooters or what may have motivated them. The House Intelligence Committee chairman, something else that was quite scary, not only for Kansas City, but for the rest of America. The chairman, Mike Turner, issued a dire warning this afternoon on what he called a, quote, serious national security threat. Quote, I'm requesting that President Biden declassify all information relating to this threat so that Congress, the administration, and our allies can openly discuss the actions necessary to respond to the threat. There's a lot of problems with that because our allies and their security services can discuss it if it's classified information, as can the administration, as can members of Congress, as certainly can members of the intelligence community. So why would he want it to classify? And it's very easy to think when you see that chairman of the intelligence committee and national security threat, that World War III is around the corner. It's terrifying. A lot of people got scared that war was imminent. As we've gotten more reporting on this, It is probably what he is referring to, some type of new Russian space-based weapon. But it is not something they are going to use tomorrow. Democrats and Republicans have come out across the board and said, well, don't really worry that much. And now the attention is turned to Mike Turner. To understand how this is just not a partisan issue in Washington, this is now Mike Turner against all of Washington, 
Here is the House Republican Speaker, Mike Johnson. I will press the administration to take appropriate action, and everybody can uh, be comforted by that. I saw Chairman Turner's statement on the issue, and I, I want to assure the American people there is no need for public alarm. All right, there's nothing more important than national security. It should be nonpartisan. And in Washington, the president is obviously commander in chief. But on Capitol Hill, there is what is called the bipartisan gang of eight. The chairman and ranking members of the House and Senate Intel Committees, plus the speaker and minority leader in the House and the majority and minority leaders in Senate, they get access essentially to the crown jewels, to America's most closely guarded secrets. They get far more information than is given to members of Congress, even in classified briefings. Turns out that Turner freelance totally. In fact, the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, will brief the Gang of Eight tomorrow, but Turner came out even ahead of that. I can tell you is that I'm focused on going to see him, sit with him, as well as the other House members of the Gang of Eight tomorrow, and I'm not in a position to say anything further from this podium at this time. All right. We've certainly been critical of Jake Sullivan on this show, of his policies, and, and really of his results, but he is rightfully angry. Turner scared a lot of people. It sounded like war was going to start tomorrow. Victoria Coates is here, former Deputy National Security Advisor to Trump. I almost don't know what to say about this. The idea of an intel chairman freelancing like this is kind of unthinkable. Leland, good to be with you. I was actually sort of hoping you were going to ask me about the Mona Lisa because this is a really difficult situation. Uh, agreed, it, it's alarming when you have the chairman of the House uh, Intel Committee come out and say something like this. And, you know, certainly we need to be concerned if there is some dramatically new Russian space-based system because, of course, they're sharing all of that with the Chinese, if not also with the Iranians. So that is a legitimate concern. But why today? And I have to say, I'm a little concerned that, you know, the chairman was very, very focused on the markup of 702 of the surveillance provisions in the Patriot Act, which is happening this afternoon, and wanted to maybe create a little bit of drama around that. And as you say, scare a whole lot of people in the course of it. Yeah, I, I don't I don't quite understand. I mean, the idea of using American national security and calling for the declassification of something so the American people can see this, whatever this Russian weapon system might be, and potentially potentially out American sources and methods on something in order to uh, be able to deal with a problem. There's a lot of national security threats that, that our national security officials deal with without declassifying everything. Let's, let's give Mike Turner the benefit of the doubt. Is there a reasonable explanation for freelancing in this way, uh, clearly the, the House Speaker didn't think it was necessary. Clearly the minority leader in the Senate, a Republican, nor did the uh, ranking member, the Senate Intel Committee member who's a Republican. So it's not partisan. Is there any explanation for freelancing like this? Well, not, not that we know. And of course, I mean, there is always more that we don't know. So one wants to be cautious about that. And I, as I said, I think there's a lot of reason to be deeply concerned about Russian and Chinese and sure, no, that, that's no, we, that's, we get that, that is, but yep. that's but not why. It, I mean, I agree. Why today? Uh, and why are we getting it from the House Intel Committee? So I think they're just this is just created so many questions uh, around how all of these committees are functioning, and it's also quite frankly uh, really a little frightening to have 
somebody like Chairman Turner so off the same page with the White House, regardless of who's president. You know, there are some issues that that aren't actually partisan in Washington. I know it's hard yeah. to believe these days, but it's true. And, you know, at least in the intel space, I would hope we could have some kind of uh, meeting of the minds. Well, not only that, it's off the page of the White House and of the Republican Speaker of the House uh, and of the Republican uh, on the Intel Committee from the Senate. Um, a little bit about him. He was a uh, Turner uh, lawyer, uh, mayor of uh, Dayton, Ohio for a while, and he is a firm backer of Ukraine. Take a listen. Ukraine has to be funded. Um, it, it has. We have to respond to Russian aggression, or we will have a, a broader war there. Um, and also, you know, the the atrocities that Russia has been undertaking in Ukraine need to be responded to. This puts him on side, right, of of a lot of Republicans in the House. Uh, and if you're trying to make the case, give money to Ukraine to fight Vladimir Putin. Knowledge that getting it out there that Vladimir Putin has some wild new weapon to take on the United States helps that argument, does it not? Well, I guess that could be what he's thinking. Again, I don't want to characterize it. From my perspective, though, it, it, it really does highlight the fact that Ukraine can be a distraction for the United States when we have a much bigger fish to fry. And All right, looks like we lost Victoria Coates's uh, signal just at that moment. Look, you will, you, we all hope um, that there's a reason that Mike Turner did this for, for, for good of country. Um, what that might be, uh, a lot of smart people can't figure out, but uh, to be determined. We've asked him to be on the show, obviously, as, as I'm sure every television show uh, here in Washington. And so far, he's declined. We'll stay on it. Coming up next, forget politics for a while. And that would be nice, wouldn't it? Four years after COVID, with over a million American lives lost, there's still been no Blue Ribbon Commission on all our responses. What we got right, what we got wrong. More importantly, is there a way to prevent a disaster in the future? See you in a minute. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org slash savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. It is the latest effort within the White House-led American Climate Corps. USDA, in partnership with AmeriCorps, the Corps' network, and the National Association of Conservation Districts, are establishing a new Working Lands Climate Corps. This is on top of the Forest Service Climate Corps that was announced in December. Deputy Agriculture Secretary Social Torres Small in a call with reporters Monday. This new branch of the Climate Corps will provide at least 100 young Americans service opportunities. White House National Climate Advisor Alex this half-breaking initiative is an incredibly important way to engage the talents of more and more folks in what is the existential challenge of our lifetime. Organizations wishing to participate have until March 8th to submit applications via www.cornetwork, all one word, .org slash WLCC. The web address also provides information on upcoming webinars February 15th and 20th. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. 
This is The Making of America from the Jefferson Media Group. Just prior to the end of America's war between the states, a reporter asked President Lincoln what he believed the future held for a healing America. And this was his answer. If destruction be our lot, then we ourselves must be its author and its executioner. For as a nation of free men, we are destined to live through all times or die by suicide. It would seem those words are as prevalent today as when first spoken by Abraham Lincoln in 1865. This has been The Making of America. I'm Michael Emerson, and you can visit us at jeffersonmediagroup.com. Thank you for listening to News Nation, America's independent source for unbiased news. News Nation, news for all America. Stand Up to Cancer asked leading cancer researchers to speak about why they do their work. Two words come to mind for me. One is responsibility. The other is purpose. It's just so inspiring to do research that impacts human lives. Stand Up to Cancer has been a critical partner in advancing research for cancer. Cancer research saves lives. So please, help us fight in this battle against cancer. Be a part of the team that ends cancer at StandUpToCancer.org. This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Do you know veterans can use VA health care even if they have other forms of coverage, like a private insurance plan or Medicare? Save money on prescriptions, vision, even urgent care, and get the best care for veterans. Sign up at VA.gov, call 1-800-MY-VA-411, or visit your nearest VA medical center. At First Tee, we are building game changers. We believe all kids deserve to feel excited to grow, safe to fail, and better equipped for whatever comes at them next. We do this by helping them develop their golf swing, but more importantly, their inner strength. First Tee coaches help young people ages 7 to 18 navigate the course, as well as guide them through new challenges in life. Because we know what's inside doesn't just count, it changes the game. Learn more at firsttee.org. On the night Republicans impeached the first cabinet secretary in more than 150 years, they watched their majority in the House get even smaller. Tom Suozzi won the special election in New York's third congressional district. The district spreads out across suburban Queens and Long Island and is considered to have a huge number of swing state voters. Case in point, it voted Democrat in 2018 and 2020. It then went Republican. George Santos, remember him, the kind of, well, he had some fanciful ideas about himself. He had zero political experience, but the Republican won, George Santos. It went for Trump in 2016, Biden in 2020. Last night's race lay bare the fact that swing voters are kind of tired of Republicans playing to their political base rather than addressing the issues. Massachusetts Congressman Jim McGovern said the same in a more forceful message to his Republican counterparts. The reason why... You did not win last night is because people think that what you're doing is not the right thing. Your ideas are unpopular and they're sick of the incompetence and the inaction. Speaking of action, a year after Republicans made the East Palestine train disaster a cause celeb 
and shamed President Biden into visiting. President Biden's going to visit on Friday. Congressional Republicans have done precisely nothing to make rural towns better protected from rail disasters. A report from The Intercept notes one year after East Palestine, some Senate Republicans haven't even looked at the rail safety bill. Others perhaps were working against it. That might have something to do with the fact that Norfolk Southern spent $2.3 million to lobby Congress and the federal government in 2023. Former Pennsylvania Congressman Charlie Dent uh, is with us. You think there's a connection between leadership fights and impeachment fights and and the like uh, and Republican loss last night? Well, yes. I mean, uh, look, the House Republican Conference is does not have a functional majority. It's that simple. And that bared itself out uh, with respect to the various speaker fights for McCarthy initially, you know, 15 rounds. And then they removed him. Then it took a long time to get Johnson in place. And they just had a very difficult time doing the basics uh, of, of governance. And, and so I think that is hurting House Republicans. And especially uh, in, in the aftermath of the scuttled uh, border security provisions of the foreign aid bill that the Senate had delicately negotiated, that got blown up, too. I mean, so people see this and they think, boy, these guys can't get anything done. And I think the House House Republicans in particular are under the microscope for, for not doing much other than just trying to figure out who their leaders are. Yeah, well, that's as you point out, that's taken them a while. Look, it, we have to be be fair, right? There's some House Republicans who have such safe seats and are so far to the right that they can sort of demand these performative votes or demand things not get through that would be a compromise. Uh, and the, the rest of the caucus realizes that if they don't go along with the most crazy among them, uh, they're going to get primaried. I, I think about this as it relates to Donald Trump, because there's two views of this. Uh, Donald Trump, uh, this is a very foolish woman. Mozzie Pellup uh, running a race where she didn't endorse me and tried to straddle the fence when she would have easily won if she understood anything about modern-day politics in America. In other words, she was too moderate for a swing district. If only she had uh, endorsed Trump, uh, then suddenly there would have been more Republicans in Nassau County, New York, showing up to vote for her in the snow. You buy that? Uh, no, Trump's actually got this wrong. One thing he does have right is I think that Pillup was not a particularly good candidate. Swazi was, is, you know, he's a moderate, pragmatic, problem-solving Democrat. He's a proven winner up there. And he obviously separated himself from Joe Biden on, on the border and crime and some other issues. So he, he played it very smart. Pillup, on the other hand, you know, she had, they were hammering her over some tax issues. I mean, you know, if you're going to run somebody in the George Santos seat, a man who was you know, uh, expelled right. for all kinds of you know craziness and including financial issues. You might want to have a candidate who is squeaky clean. Yes, she has a great personal story serving in the IDF, but boy, oh boy, you know, there's a, there's a bit of, there was a bit of a a Santos penalty, I suspect, in that district That's in this point. race. So, I, I, so bottom line, you're right. You're right, though, that uh, about your your basic premise is correct. That, that Trump is is really not helping things. Trump lost that district by eight points. If she just behaved like Trump. Uh, I'm sure that uh, things would have gone even worse than they did for her last night. I, I think about things that the GOP could have dealt with, right? Rail safety, border reform, foreign aid to allies, national debt. And, you, know, the, you say they don't have a functional majority, and there's nothing Democrats like more than watching Republicans fight for each other, uh, fight amongst each other. I guess why is it that, and maybe the answer is there's just not a strong enough leader, but why is it that nobody 
is able to look at all of them and say, look, you all can have, we can have our fights amongst yourselves, but let's try to put Democrats in a bad position. That's more important. Well, I think Republicans, this is where I, I, I'm just mystified. Here they negotiated uh, Senate border provisions, James Langford and, uh, and Senator Murphy. They, they negotiated this bill, got many conservative policy victories on, on yeah. asylum reform, and then they walked away from their own agreement. I mean, I just to me, that's just staggering here. They actually got some things that they desperately wanted. They could have had a deliverable. But then Trump intervened and said, you know what? We, I want the issue. He wants the issue and doesn't want to solve the problem. And frankly, it hurt Pillup. And she endorsed Trump's position in the end, which was foolish. And Swazi ran as the compromise candidate saying, hey, I'm trying to fix the border. So I, I right. don't understand. Even when they have a solution in hand. They walk away from it. Why? Because a lot of those hardliners in the House don't want to vote for anything that has Ukraine funding in it. Uh, and frankly, I, they also want to just pander to Trump. I mean, so it's yeah, that's no, that's it's, their- that's Republicans have made their bed. Um, Congressman, it's good to see you as always. We appreciate the thoughts. Thank you. Think about four you years ago right now. So this would have been Valentine's Day 2020. You remember where you were, what you were thinking? You probably had never heard of covid. The world had no idea, literally, we had no idea how our lives were about to change because of this mysterious virus from China. Take a listen. Dozens of Chinese have come down with pneumonia in a major city in western China, and officials don't know why. They know it wasn't caused by flu, and they have traced it to a food market. Officials now worry that traveling patients could spread the disease. Oh, and they did spread it. More than a million Americans, 1.1 million Americans would die. Reading math scores would plummet because of lockdowns. We'd miss weddings, anniversaries, graduations, tore families apart. The economy took a $14 trillion hit. And now we're quote-unquote back to normal. It's worth pointing out, though, that we are in no better position to handle the next pandemic. There's still dozens of unanswered questions about how the U.S. and world leaders responded For years here on the program, we've been calling on Congress to create a Blue Ribbon Commission to investigate just basic things about what worked and what didn't. You think we want to get to the bottom of all of the problems of the pandemic, a Blue Ribbon Commission, 9-11 style commission, January 6th committee style investigation so we can fix all the problems. You know, it was long ago based on that hair. Bethany McLean's book, well, doesn't quite replace a Blue Ribbon Commission, but she's tackling some of these issues surrounding COVID. It's called The Big Fail, what the pandemic revealed about who America protects and who it leaves behind. Bethany is with us. Now, just from the start, right, COVID became incredibly politicized. I'm wondering how you had to deal with that in reporting this book. So it never made sense to me. I remember in the early stages of the pandemic, I was on Twitter worried about children needing to get back into school. And a friend of mine said to me, I didn't know you were a Trump voter. And it confused me to no end because I thought, what does one's politics have to do with how you think we should respond to a pandemic? And yet that became the case almost instantaneously, where how you felt about wearing masks and how you felt about lockdowns and even how you felt about getting children back in school was a sign of your politics. And the crazy thing is, is that it's still that way today. And honestly, it it seems so absurd to me that on one level, I'm shocked that it is. And yet it's one of those things that is. And I think that's part of the problem with our collective unwillingness to look at what happened in, in, in the pandemic is that we're all still dug into these yeah. ideological views. 
about how we should have fair, handled Fair it. enough. Yeah, I, I was re- reading your bio. Contributing editor at Vanity Fair is not exactly a bastion of Trump supporters. Um, but we think about Blue Ribbon Commissions. Uh, January 6th, JFK assassination, September 11th, Iraq War, Pearl Harbor, America's nuclear future. Uh, there was even one on baseball economics that we uh, George Will was a part of. Why is there such a reluctance, though, even if it's not to assign blame, simply to learn so that the next time there's a pandemic, which there's going to be, we know what works and what doesn't? I'm as upset about that as you are, and I don't know the answer to that. I think okay. it is. We all want to pretend it didn't happen. Nobody wants to look back at it. Nobody got it perfectly right. I don't think there was a leader who was covered in shining armor about the way he or she or she handled this. So I'm not sure there's anybody in power who wants to have who wants to have questions huh? asked. I also think some of the issues that led us to handle the response so badly are deeply embedded. They they're, 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 they were a long time in the making. And so Beth, Bethany, that. let me just stop you real quick, because I think the book is a fascinating, important topic and maybe as close to a Blue Ribbon Commission as we get. A top two takeaways of things that we got wrong that you all found. Well, I think one is our ideological divides, our unwillingness to listen and learn from each other, the fact that okay. states did their own things and nobody was willing to say, wait, this appears to be working. Wait, this doesn't appear to be look, working. The way in which we divided between we care about the economy and we care about people, that is such an artificial divide. The economy is people. It is people's lives. We should all care about these things. And then I think the utter mess of our healthcare system, which we all know, but it's this gigantic disaster hanging over, over all of our heads. I mean, the fact that our excess deaths were worse than other developed countries is bad enough. But when you contrast that um, to our spending on health care, which as a percentage of GDP hmm. in other countries, it's even worse. So what is going wrong with our health care system if our people are sicker and more vulnerable to a pandemic than those in other countries? Fascinating. Really important that you're doing this. Thank, thank you for doing the work, uh, Congress and the president and others will not. Uh, Bethany, and uh, we're going to have you back. Uh, Continue the conversation. Thank you. Coming up, the script is flipped on Fawny Willis. Will the prosecutor going after Trump now find herself off the case? Could the entire case get thrown out of court? We have a pretty nuanced. But don't you think that there's of, uh, something different, but, Michael? But the Wait, fact is, if you take off the table, the best lawyer, okay, the best litigator, I understand. For I understand. Rico, Wait, I get it. You're going to undercut the case. I get it. The people who, who want Donald Trump convicted and they want him thrown in prison are going to say, No, if you want a well, good trial from, no, from right. top-flight lawyers, you want Fine right. Willis in the courtroom. And, and if you want, case. if you All right, that's Dan Abrams and journalist Michael Isikoff last week talking about whether Trump prosecutor Fawny Willis should step down. You know the story. Fulton County, Georgia prosecutor Fawny Willis had an affair with the special prosecutor she hired to prosecute Donald Trump. Her office paid Nathan Wade $650,000, which he then allegedly used to take her on vacation during their affair. Tomorrow, a judge in Georgia very well might likely turn the prosecutor into a witness Depending on what he finds, he could disqualify her from the Trump prosecution. That would flip the case totally on its head. To be fair to Mr. Isikoff, since that interview with Dan, we've learned new details about Nathan Wade. Allegedly, Wade lied on his divorce papers that were filed under oath. Newsweek looked at the new filing, alleging Wade updated his answers to two questions, asking if he had sexual relations with anyone aside from his spouse during his marriage and when he may have entered a, entertained a member of the opposite sex. 
not including his ex-wife during that period. The documents provided by one of the defendants, which Newsweek has seen, showed that Wade responded none to both questions on May 30th, 2023. But he has now updated those answers last month after the allegations of an improper relationship between himself and Willis were brought to light. Michael Isikoff wrote a book about the investigation called Find Me the Votes, a New York Times bestseller, and is with us now. If it is clear that Nathan Wade perjured himself, does that not completely change the case? Well, there's a lot of assumptions there that there's going to be hard proof about uh, this. But Willis has already admitted a... A personal relationship. She's admitted a personal relationship, as has Nathan Wade. Right. Um, It's hard to see how that has had any impact on the case whatsoever. Um, The the questions now, which are going to be coming up at the hearing tomorrow, and this is going to be quite a hearing because... Pop the um, popcorn. uh, Yeah. uh, Nathan Wade is going to testify. There's a former law partner of Nathan Wade. Mm Mm-hmm who, um, uh, Ashley Merchant, the lawyer for Michael Roman, the guy who brought this motion, uh, is supposed to testify. And I am told Fonnie Willis not only will be in the courtroom, but she wants to testify. She wants to go on the stand under oath and answer questions about this matter. The, it seems to me that uh, the outstanding issues here are when did the relationship begin? Wade has said in a sworn affidavit it did not begin until after he was hired. Willis has said that in court papers filed as well. And yeah, okay, I, I, yeah. I get you. I got a okay. couple of questions here. Well, one is in, yeah. this book was thoroughly reported. You said yeah. you, you spent a lot of time in right. Georgia. How did you miss this? <laughs> well, it, not only did I miss it, like everybody else missed it, including people on the prosecution team with Fonnie Willis had no idea of this. They were very discreet about it. There was no gossip. There was no talk about it. Um, and, you know, frankly, the DA's sex life did not seem relevant to the huge issues but if you, that this, we were reporting. This is, this and is I have to say, this, this has been, we'll see what happens tomorrow okay. and what evidence is and, yep. and how credible the one witness that Ashley Merchant, the lawyer for Michael Roman, has, this guy Terrence Bradley, who is uh, They've already admitted the fair. That's not a question. That's not a question, and that's and it's hard to see whether that's an issue in and of itself. In and of itself, well, hold on, hold it has on, no on, impact you, on the done, case. You've done a lot of journalism in your life. I'm yes, I have. About, right, okay. I know a lot about sex scandals, right. and as sex yeah, scandals go, uh, yeah. this is pretty lame. To a hold, consensual hold relationship between two a, adults, single one, adults. One, one who was using right? taxpayer money to pay the other one. Hold well, on. Yes. And, and you think about, see, Jeff Zucker resigned in 2020, consensual affair. Right. Stephen Esterbrook, uh, McDonald's, Priceline CEO, Best Buy CEO, Boeing CEO. These were affairs. These were not, these were not even in positions of power, which right. Bonnie Willis was in a position of power over Nathan Look, Wade. There, there's a legal standard here, right? Like, is this a conflict of interest? And if Judge McAvee, excuse me, if Judge McAvee, no, 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 standard, though, is hold an appearance, on. though. If Judge, appearance of, appearance actually, of actually, the judge may have been wrong about that. The, the, this, that's the standard for judges. It's not the standard for pro- prosecutors. The standard for prosecutors is conflict of interest. It's not an appearance. The judge may have been wrong about that. But if the, if the judge asks uh, Ashley Roman, the lawyer for um, uh, uh, for Michael Roman. Uh, explain to me how the relationship between Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade prejudiced your client. I have no idea what she'll, what she'll say. 
I mean, there's absolutely no evidence that it did, no evidence of prosecutorial misconduct, no evidence that it in any way tainted any of the evidence, the very important evidence in this case. So it does you leave you it's scratching the head a bit like, what is this about? What are we talking right. about? Now, the, 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 the theory here seems to be that the money, uh, because... Nathan Wade was hired as an outside counsel and was being paid right. that therefore this was a corrupt bargain and they had some uh, vested she, interest right. in paying, in, in making right. money for Nathan Wade so he could take she's her on, on trips. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Now, she has said in the court papers that on these trips that they split the uh, expenses roughly equal. Well, we'll if see. that's the case, you know, and she can show that, it's hard to see how that goes anywhere. I mean, Jack Smith is being paid out by the Justice Department can you argue that he took he brought the election interference case so we can make more money? That's the that's the gist of the yeah, argument, I, I, which I, I, sounds I, I, kind of preposterous when you uh, think about it. I, I mean, like, come on. I mean, uh, yeah, I got to run. You got to run. I, I can stay for a while if you oh, want to oh, really oh dissect we, this. We, we, we will find, find me the votes. votes. There we, we go. A lot about Fonnie Willis. All in right. There. Yeah. When we hold on, sit down. You got. I got to read the tease. When we okay. come back, more on the breaking news out of Kansas City, where children celebrating the Chiefs' victory were caught in the crossfire. ages from 6 to 15. And there are an awful lot of questions about this. It appears as though this was not what you would typically call a mass shooting. This was a couple of people who, in the words of the police chief, were bad actors and got into a gunfight around the area of this parade. And there is going to be an awful lot of questions going forward about this, about who these people were, why they were armed, when the police chief said they were bad actors, did they have prior arrests? How were those arrests prosecuted? Lots of questions about that. So far, three people in custody. We don't know whether those are the shooters or just people who were tackled as innocent bystanders and then detained by police. We're going to get more information on that probably tomorrow morning. A little later tonight, Ashley Banfield will have some of the people involved in the apprehension. Um, as a couple of people ran away from the scene, some of the fans who were there tackled them. Those are where they are with Ashley. We'll be right back. So while Valentine's Day is often highlighted as a celebration of love, for some, the day can be filled with maybe sadness, a little loneliness. And while some may be looking forward to showing some love, Others plainly are not. You might have seen the anti-Valentine's Day events or gifts over the years. One business decided to hold its own event against the day of love. I got to swing by and see the action. Romantic. Today's Valentine's Day. And as you just heard, not everybody is looking to celebrate love. But not to be outdone in the Debbie Downer of Love competition, the Washington Post writes, let's be honest, Valentine's Day has more potential to harm terrorize and traumatize people than anything Halloween serves up. Dr. Gail Saltz is a psychiatrist and psychoanalyst with us here. Doctor, it's good to see you. How is it that we've gotten to a point where seeing other people happy and in love is traumatizing to people? Well, because seeing other people, anything that we wish we had, has the potential to make us feel less than. 
And in the Department of Valentine's Day, right, that's less than in love. And as you know, we're having a public health epidemic in loneliness. So anything that accentuates that feeling, I am missing the thing that the holiday declares I'm supposed to have if I'm a happy, functional person. So loneliness is a real problem. And when it's exacerbated, it causes depression and anxiety. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I, I guess there's an argument that we've all become so, I, I don't know if it's so weak or so self-consumed that we can't be happy for others. And then somehow it's everybody else's responsibility to not put uh, something on Instagram so that it doesn't offend or hurt or traumatize those who, who don't have it. Well, I don't subscribe to that so much as I say, if this is bothering you, turn off your app for a few days. You don't okay. have to look. Yeah, exactly. But well, if you are, are if you are celebrating, you're entitled to share your love. You're entitled yeah. to share your happiness. It's just that you can't demand that everybody else be happy with you and feel the same way. I don't. Yeah, I guess if, you, if you're if you're happy with the right person, you really don't care what anybody else thinks. Um, although although I have to admit that the day has gotten away from me and I have not done the requisite Instagram post. There might be somebody oh. who's unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming. Oh, don't worry. Oh, you're in the doghouse. And in fact, yeah, this shouldn't it's coming. be the only it, day of the year that you express your love and happiness to your partner. If you have a healthy that, relationship, that it's a lot of that pressure. Is, that for, is true. For those like you, too. That's that's very that's you see I've, I've now been traumatized. I didn't realize how difficult this segment could be. I think about this though, and I think you make a great point um, that you don't subscribe to this idea that if if it's traumatizing to you, then other people shouldn't do it. But but so many do, and I'm wondering for somebody who deals with really serious mental health issues. That's why somebody you know you're a psychiatrist. Yeah. That when everything is a mental health issue, when everything is triggering, when everything is hard, then then nothing is, right? Then we can't have the serious conversations about the edited photos on Instagram that give young women complexes about eating disorders. I really try to talk to people about the difference between illness, which is it really, these symptoms rise to the level of disrupting your ability to function in life. And psychological issues that could use care and attention. Absolutely. You need coping tools. Maybe you want to talk to somebody about it. Maybe you want to attend to it to prevent it from getting worse. And there's a difference between those two things. Absolutely. Not everything is trauma. Not everything is illness. Is there a danger in in people who make everything trauma and illness? Well, I think as you're pointing out, it can dilute our attention to real trauma and illness. But... I do want to say to people, preventive mental health care is worthwhile. We do every other kind of preventive health care. Yeah. Preventive mental health care is worthwhile. It's a good point. I think you said the best thing for preventive mental health care, delete the apps. It's amazing. It frees you so much. It's amazing. Yeah. Digital detox. I do it on vacation. It's good to see you, ma'am. Thank you very much. We appreciate uh, the insight. Happy Valentine's Day to my Valentine and to all those who are celebrating. Here's Chris. Hey, I'm Chris Cuomo. How you doing? We have a lot of breaking news. You know what this is, right? It's Ash Wednesday. I just want to be very clear about something, okay? Um, I have a video out about what Ash Wednesday is and all these things and what it means to me on my Substack. You can watch it later tonight. This is not a sign of anything but desperation of trying to be better, okay? I don't believe in people putting their faith 
on you. It's a choice I make, not one you have to. But this is the custom. That's why it's here. Onward. We start with breaking news. We have a couple with us tonight who helped stop one of the shooters in the Kansas City Super Bowl parade. At least one fan has been murdered, okay? 